at Chapel Hill. Before we uh, get into the message this morning, I just want to um, share just a brief thought with you on uh, what's happening right now and our response to it. And mostly I just want to say thank you for your flexibility and understanding and um, for the compassion that you have uh, that was expressed by so many of you in regards to how we respond to the situation around us. And I am just thoroughly grateful for that compassion that's been expressed so much and for the support that we've had uh, in response to the decision not to meet in person. So thank you for that. Thank you for continuing to be uh, a compassionate presence in your communities. Thanks for praying for the people around you. Thanks for supporting the people around you. And I would, I would encourage you to, to do just that in whatever way you can find um, to be an impact in your community. Uh, yesterday, my wife reached out to some of our elderly neighbors and just said, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. Is there anything that I can pick up for you? Um, those kinds of things, there are lots of opportunities for us to, to reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus as we, uh, as we respond in love and in compassion to the people around us. And so let's keep doing that and we'll keep looking for ways that we can do that as a church and be a support for our community and for you as well. And um, I look forward to the day when we'll be able to be together in person again. And so before we start, um, let me just take a moment and pray for our community, for us, and for God's will to be accomplished here. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that um, in spite of all that's happening and, and having to make um, significant decisions like this to, to not meet as a church, um, you have given us the ability to, to be together in, in the best way that we can uh, this morning and, and in other times as well, that you've provided that for us. And um, I thank you for this opportunity for us to stand with our community and support the actions that need to be taken um, for us to stop the, the spread of this virus. And so God, first of all, I just ask that you would take care of this, that you would um, relieve this nation and this world of this virus, that you would bring healing, that you would bring solutions, that you would just bring a stop to this. And um, I pray for those that, that need you right now in terms of their health and support and for those that are working tirelessly to, to help those who are, are facing this virus in a very personal way. I just ask that you would strengthen them. And Father, I ask for us as a church that you would just carry us through this time, just bring us together um, and even though we can't meet in person together, just bring us closer to each other and to you. Use this time for your glory. We know that this is all within your ability to impact, and so we just once again call you into this. Uh, we call on your strength and on your grace and mercy and on your love and just ask that, um, that we would see your light shine throughout all this and that you would use us in the midst of all this. So God, we just commit ourselves to you and how you're gonna use us um, to be light and salt all over this world as your church. Bless this time that we have together now as we dig into your word and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I, uh, I have a cup with me this morning um, and not because I'm trying to relate to you as you're sitting at home in your pajamas with your coffee cup. Um, this cup represents something that I'm gonna talk about this morning. It is partially filled and let me clarify that it is not half full it is not half empty and for those of you who are uh, are prone to try and guess what the moral of the story is before we get to the end and you're thinking oh here comes the the half full sermon that's not what this is about at all 
This is about a cup, but in a very different way, and I want to talk to you about that. This morning we're going to talk about relationships and love's place in our relationships. Two weeks ago we talked about love's backstory. God loved us first, before we were even born, and when we were born, under the curse of sin, equipped with a sinful nature, God loved us Before we even thought to ask for his forgiveness and invite him to create a new nature in us, God loved us. And so because he first loved us and we've experienced the depth of that love, we love. And our experience of love and our practice of love become very different than the love that we see and experience in our culture and in our world. Two weeks ago, I also shared with you how ripped off I think that the people of this world are. Um, we're, we're led to believe that we are the source of love in the world and in our lives. And so this, this is how we live. We have these cups that we carry around with us that are partially filled, certainly not filled, and sometimes we feel they're completely empty, and we go from person to person and situation to situation looking to have our cup filled. And so as a husband, I go to my wife and I say, Kim, my cup is only half full. I need you to fill it with love for me. I need you to let me know that I'm significant. So you're responsible to put love in my cup. And I go to my kids and I go, kids, you also remind me of how significant I am. So be successful. Be the kids that I dreamed you would be and fill my cup for me to let me know that I'm loved by you. And we go to people in our church and we do the same thing. And we go to work and we look to our boss and go, tell me that I mean something. Tell me how much value I have. Fill my cup for me. I need you to tell me that I'm loved by the way that you treat me and the raises that I get and all these things. And around we go from place to place, from person to person, looking to have our cups filled because we live as if they are not full I'm going to ask you to turn now in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. This is going to be our reference point this morning, and it is a fantastic reference point. This part of Paul's letter to the church speaks so powerfully to the presence and practice of love in our lives. I'm going to use just parts of the letter, parts of the chapter. It would take us far too long to dig into the entire chapter, never mind the whole letter. But Paul has some things to say about love that we simply must understand. And so Paul starts this part of the letter with with these words in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. He writes to the church, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're told to be imitators of God. How does that sit with you? Nothing like asking the impossible. Paul creates some universes, breathes life into things, hear everyone's prayers and answer all of them. Got it, got it, I got that one, God, that uh, I have that one down, I will be an imitator of you. Okay, well, thankfully, Paul continues that sentence with the words, as beloved children. 
Like children following and imitating their fathers and mothers, we are being called to follow and imitate God as our loving father. We are his beloved. He loves us. It takes us back to love's backstory that we talked about. Our ability and motivation to love come from following the lead of our eternal father and the fact that he loves us. We imitate him in loving from a place of being loved as his children. Made in the image of the one who loves and is love, we love. That love has to be in front of us constantly. His love, God's love for us. And there's a very, very good reason for us to keep that love in front of us. Let's unpack that a little bit. At the very core of who we are is the need to be loved. No shame in that. God, out of his love for us, created us to be loved and to love like him. Now, it's easy to make the statement that God doesn't have any needs. That's true from the perspective that we have on what it means to need But what do we do with Jesus' answer about what God's greatest commandments were? Jesus said, first and foremost, that we're to love God with everything we've got. God wants us to love him. In our relationship with him, it reflects back to him his image in us. He loves, so we love back. That's how we imitate God. We reflect back what he does, and who he is. Now grab hold of this and and never, ever let go. God loves you. He loved you first before you even existed. He loves you perfectly and completely. He loves you unconditionally. That means he expects nothing in return from you. You and I don't have to do anything to earn his love. And we're being asked to love like he loves. That's a massive request. And we're going to get to fulfilling that request in a little while. But first we have to pause on God's love for us and the impact it should have on our lives. This is why we have to keep that love in front of us constantly. God's love is sufficient. It is boundless and unconditional. It never ends. And his love offers us far more than we typically equate with the love that we're presented with in our culture and in our world. God's love goes so far beyond the world's version of love that it is well worth it to daily consider the scope of his love and live out each day accordingly. Here's where we start. We put in front of us a list of what God's love provides for us. We create a bit of a checklist of what we get so that we realize that nothing can compare to his love for us. This is is what his love brings us. I can ask myself these questions as a bit of a checklist in my life. First of all, am I loved? Well, we've dealt with that one quite a bit because it truly is one of our greatest needs. And I can confidently say that indeed I am loved. God loves me and has demonstrated that love for me in so many ways. 
And if at any point you still doubt that love, please do not hesitate to come and see me or call me and I will do everything I can to show you that you're loved by God. We're also going to spend a few weeks talking about the grace side of God's character next. So be prepared to to bring your doubt to him and have him take it from you without doing anything to earn it and without fear of it being withheld because of something that we've done, we are offered boundless, unconditional love by our Father. So am I loved? Yes, check, that one's taken care of. Next, do I have value? That's the next question on my checklist. Do I have value? And if so, how do I know that I do? Well, this one's obviously closely tied to the first question. I am loved by God, and in that truth, I can be reassured that I have value. God sees the value in me more clearly than any human being ever could. God sees his image in me. He created me, and God does not create anything that has no value. His image in me is enough. He sees himself, his perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present self. He sees himself in me. He sees Jesus in me. He sees his spirit in me. He knows exactly what my sinful nature has done to me. But, and please hear this, he values me and valued me before I was born. That sinful nature was not something that God had to overcome in assessing my value. God's value is already assigned to me and doesn't change every time I do something wrong. I am valued. Check. Then does my life have meaning and purpose? Huge question for us as people. Are we contributors in the world? What is the purpose for my existence? What difference do I make? Well, God has an answer for that because obviously he's the one who created us. He has a plan and purpose for my life. I'm not left to figure that out on my own. God loves me so much that he drew up a plan for me and desires to lead me through that plan by the guidance and power of his spirit living in me. This morning we were already given a clue about this. Paul wrote that we are to be imitators of God and that we're to live like Jesus lived. That's meaning and purpose. So check, that one's answered. How about who am I? It's one we ask of ourselves pretty often. Well, in his love for us, God shows us that he has our identity already designed. Life is just a matter of us surrendering to the identity that God has for us rather than living a life trying to figure out what that identity is. From child to servant to royal priesthood and holy nation to light and salt and on it goes throughout the Bible, all these snapshots of who we are. God knows who we are. We just have to surrender to that identity, the identity that only he can give us. Check, I know who I am. Am I secure? Well, in love, God sent Jesus. And one of the many reasons for demonstrating his love for us through Jesus was to bring us back into relationship with him. We were not secure. 
We cannot be secure apart from the saving work of Jesus bringing us back into relationship with our Father. And what does God say about that relationship, that security? He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to be our rock and our refuge, our very present help in times of trouble. We are secure in God. Check. And I can honestly think of a question related to my need that isn't answered by the love of God. Am I alone? I don't want to be alone. No, of course, I'm not alone. And no one but God can provide that constant presence in my life. Am I needed? I certainly am by him. I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. Of course I'm needed. And the point that I'm trying to make is that this cup that I'm using to represent my life this morning is full. My life is full because of the love that God the Father has for me. My needs are met. My questions have been answered. I am loved, valued, secure, never alone, sure of my identity, living with purpose. My cup is full. Your cup is full. This is the life that Jesus promised us and came to give us. Life to the full. We are loved and that love, God's love for us, is sufficient. Any attempt that we make to have something or someone other than God provide that need is a case of us settling for something less. The picture that the world seems to be giving us is a picture of living in constant need. We're being told that it's not just acceptable but favorable for us to expect others to contribute to the meeting of our needs for love and value and purpose and so on. But that approach is perfectly understandable. Without God, what choice do we have? We are empty. Our cups are definitely not full. And without God, where do we go to get them filled? We go to each other. And constantly then we let each other down trying to do what only God can do. Jesus saw this. And what was his response to this kind of scenario? He had compassion on the people he saw. He saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He wanted to show them a new way to fill their cups. He wanted to show them God. And he did. So look at your own cup right now. Obviously you'll have to use your imagination for this or maybe you have your coffee cup in front of you right now and you'll use that as your object. You have a need for love. You have a need to know that you are valued. You need to know that you have purpose. Where are you getting those needs met? How are you attempting to fill that cup? This is why I say that we have to keep the love of God in front of us all the time. 
my desire for all of us is that we'll be able to comprehend with all the saints, and here comes Ephesians 3.18, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's love fills us. It fills our cups. There is nothing in this world that can promise to do that. There is no one in this world who can promise to do that and fulfill that promise. Only God fulfills that promise for us. So here's my warning to you regarding your cups. Be very aware of how you see that cup and what you're doing to fill it. Your desire to be fully loved is completely legitimate. But you have a choice now. Accept God's love for you and see just how he fills that cup or carry out your partially filled cup into the world to find someone or something or both to fill it for you. This leads us directly to look at the relationships in our lives. I think we all do the opposite of what Paul is directing us to do sometimes. Rather than see our cups as full, thanks to the love that God has for us, we go ahead and put that on the people around us. So go back to Ephesians 5 now. Paul calls us to be imitators of God as his children whom he loves. He calls us to walk in love, full cup. That's the first two verses. And then Paul writes for a while about the messed up relationships among the people in the church at Ephesus. Immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, deception, disobedience. This is darkness. But there are some of the characteristics, but these are some of the characteristics seen among those looking for their cups to be filled in the relationships in their lives. They were hurting each other, walking together in the dark. And much of what they were looking for was a counterfeit version of love. So Paul writes in verse 15 now that they needed to be careful about how they walked. They weren't walking in the kind of love that Christ showed them. They were looking to take. And he urged them to make the best use of time, the best use of their lives. And now connecting them back to God's love and the sufficiency of his love to fill their cups, Paul urges them to something much better, something that would fill their cups daily. He urges them to be filled with God's spirit. The way in which God's love is poured out into and through our lives. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives them the contrast to how they were treating each other. Filled with God's spirit, they could now treat each other very differently. They could address each other, not with immoral desires and covetousness, but with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody before the Lord with their hearts. There's such a sharp contrast in this part of Paul's letter. This is how we're to treat each other. The first fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22 is what? It's love. So when we're filled with the Spirit, we're filled with 
love, it even says filled, our cups are full if we're being filled with God's spirit, which makes perfect sense because God is love and if he is love and his spirit is filling us, we're filled with love. See how all this stuff ties together? There was a very clear purpose to all Paul wrote into the process of his letters making it into the Bible that we have in our hands. And verse 21 is all-encompassing in the church. Paul outlines a practice of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Chapel Hill, Paul says that we're to submit to each other out of reverence for Jesus. With cups full of God's love for us, satisfying all of our needs, we are to deny our own rights and put the good of someone else ahead of our own good. So why out of reverence for Christ? Why does it say that? This ties back to verse two. Because Jesus did this for us. He set his own rights aside and laid his life down for us. He filled our cups. So rather than parading our rights to have someone else fill our cups with love, we accept the fullness of what we've been given like Jesus did with his Father's love and we lay our lives down for others out of love and respect for what Jesus has done for us. The Spirit who now fills us and drives our lives moves us to set aside a need that's already been met our need for love and go love someone else to live out for them the love that God has for them and demonstrated for them in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It all ties together. And then, after all that, Paul addresses a relationship in which this commonly gets messed up. And it drives me nuts that these next verses are frequently taken out of context and used in a top-down, power-centered, authority-driven statement on marriage. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 is not an organizational authority structure. So why do we use it like this? Paul tells the church to submit to each other out of reverence for what Jesus did for us. We should be afraid to do anything but this because this is what Jesus did for us. Why would we dare to set up our relationships any other way when Jesus left all that he had in heaven with his father and humbled himself laying his life down for us? How on earth could we ever think of demanding that others meet our need to be loved and valued and so on? Marriage, as Paul describes it, is a relationship, not the only relationship, but a relationship in which the truth of what Jesus did for us is lived out in imitation of what Jesus did for us. Marriage is a stage upon which men and women set aside their rights and lay their lives down for each other. I am a husband. But above and beyond that, I am a child of God. And as a child of God, my cup is full. How 
How could I ever dare to come to my wife? And insist that she submit to my authority so that my need for significance can be met. Jesus met and meets my need for significance. Fully. In light of that need being fully met, my cup being filled, I'm being urged by Paul to love my wife like Jesus loved the church, like he loves me. He gave up his rights, laid down his life, and served me. That's how he leads me. That's how I'm to lead my wife. In light of her need being fully met, her cup being filled, my wife is being urged by Paul to set aside her rights, lay her life down, and serve me. Rather than expecting me to fill her cup, fulfill her need for security, which has already been met in Jesus, she is also, after all, a child of God. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus filled our cups. We have been satisfied. Our needs have been met. Therefore we come to each other as husbands and wives, brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, with a heart and attitude of service. We love each other like Jesus loved us. As God's children, we imitate our Father. Out of reverence for the one who laid his life down for us, we lay our lives down for each other. This is walking in love. This is what it means to be the body and bride of Jesus Christ. When we stop looking to each other to do what God has already done for us, our perspective and actions and approach to each other change. In preparing for this message, I I read this quote in a book called Real Relationships. The quote is this, it is only when we no longer compulsively need someone that we can have a real relationship with them. I'll read that again. It is only when we no longer compulsively need someone that we can have a real relationship with them. Do you know what's at the, the heart of that compulsive need for people to fill our cups? Here it is again. It's the problem of us putting ourselves at the center of our existence. We make ourselves the one in charge of love in our lives. But God is love. And when we put him at the center and keep him there, love plays a different role in our lives. Rather than running around looking for someone or something to fill that partially filled cup, we run around looking for opportunities to pour out what's in that cup. As God is, John wrote, so are we in this world. And that love that we give away without any fear of running out or not getting enough in return, God uses in remarkable ways. 
Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And church, we have it. We do have love for each other. God gave it to us in Jesus. God filled our cups. We will never lack in love. We will always have enough to make it possible for us to set aside our rights and lay our lives down for each other. And previous to these words on the screen here, Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In the church, in your marriages, in your families, between you and your friends, in every setting. This is walking in love. I'm gonna have our worship team come back up now and close us with a final song and I'm gonna pray as they come and prepare. So wherever you're at, just pray with me. Let's pray together. God, I can never never begin to truly grasp how great your love for us is. But what I want to grasp and what I want us to grasp is the reality that that love, as big and, and, and boundless as it is, has filled our lives, has filled our cups. And I ask that you would help us to live in that reality that our cups are full, that your love is sufficient. And because of that, we can freely, without fear, love those around us. We can love each other in your church and in this world. So I ask God that you would help us to walk in love the way you have called us to walk in love. Give us full reminders of the fact that our cups are full, that your love is sufficient. And then open our eyes to the people all around us, even in this time of uncertainty, even if we can't be together physically, you have commanded us, you've asked us, you've urged us, you've exhorted us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that as we do that, as we show the rest of the world that your love is sufficient for us and we lay ourselves down and serve each other, then you're going to take that example and you're going to make it visible. You're going to create light in that that shines into this world. And the world's going to see that we belong to you. And they're going to see that there's something different in us. And they're going to want to know what that is as we walk in love. So God, help us to walk in love each day of this week, in all of our days ahead, throughout our lives, knowing that our needs have been met, our cup is full. Now use us, Lord, to demonstrate that love to each other in this church and to the world around us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.